Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. So glad you can join me once again this week as I have a great guest and also a Q&A. I like to do these every once in a while so I can give you, the listeners, a chance to uh, let me know what interests you. What are the things that you're curious about? What are some of the things that I can help you with in terms of your hockey prospect knowledge, your draft preparations, fantasy hockey, what have you? I'm here to help. And that's what I'm going to do today. But before we get to that question and answer that I will do at the end of this podcast, it will also be in print in the very near future on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. That's hockeysense.substack.com. It will be free and uh, because the podcast is free. So uh, if you want to see these in print as well, you can. Otherwise, just continue listening after today's interview, which is with Pete Blackburn, newly of... Bally Sports, and Pete is a guy that you probably know from Twitter. You've probably seen his commentary uh, on the tweets. He also was previously at CBS Sports, and we talked a lot about the NHL and Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, he's a guy that I think has a really interesting perspective and an interesting career arc in terms of how he got involved in the hockey media and how he's become one of the more unique and interesting voices that we have in the hockey landscape today. I think he's a really interesting character and and person, and I'm really excited that he was able to join me today, and I think that you guys will enjoy hearing what he has to say. All right, I don't want to waste too much time because we've got a lot to get to. I had a long interview with Pete that goes in a, a couple different directions. We talked a lot about the Stanley Cup, as I mentioned. You know, obviously the Oilers being out, uh, the Bruins and, and how they advance. Is anybody going to be able to slow down the Colorado Avalanche? Lots of questions like that with Pete. And then afterwards... The listeners of this podcast, my followers on Twitter, my subscribers on Hockey Sense, all provided some really great questions, and I'm really excited to answer them. So without further ado, I'm going to send it over to my interview with Pete Blackburn, but then stick around for the question and answer 
with me on all things prospects, draft, and more on Talking Hockey Sense. But for now, it's me with Pete Blackburn of Valley Sports. Well, I could not be more excited to be joined by my internet son, the young man who has taken the hockey world by storm since he came out of the scene as gift boy. He's been known as other things since then, but mostly we just know, call him Pete Blackburn. And Pete, you are now of Valley Sports. Welcome to the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. It's, I mean, we've been, you've been my internet dad for a long time now, and yeah. this is the first time that we've actually spoken face-to-face, and it's long overdue, so I appreciate the invite. Yeah, it is. It is long overdue. I'm a kind of an absent father, um, and that's just, uh, it's it's really, I, I prefer, I prefer uh, the most impersonal interaction that we can possibly have, and that's usually on Twitter, but but Pete, I've been a fan for a long time. I'm, I'm really excited for your new opportunity with Bally Sports. And, and before we get into it, I want to talk about the playoffs, but I, I wanted to talk to you first about this big career move. You were at CBS Sports. You made the decision to move over to Bally Sports, which, of course, hockey fans across the country now know is the regional sports networks for so many of the NHL teams. And uh, you're, you're essentially the face of the NHL coverage. So explain to me what all of this means and what you're doing now for Bally Sports. Uh, yeah. Well, I first off want to want to say right off the bat, I can't do anything about the score bug. Don't ask me about the ticker on the bottom of the screen. I don't have anything to do with it. I don't have the power to change it. it like we were in a meeting last week and, and, um, my bosses were like, what's the feedback been like? Are people excited about the coverage and stuff like that? Is I was like, honestly, 80% of the feedback has been, can you cheat, please change the ticker. <laughs> and then, so people are aware that, that uh, within the company, they're aware that the ticker is not enjoyed. So I'll lay that out first, but um, yeah, I'm doing NHL coverage. I'm doing uh, written on the new national website that just launched, launched a few weeks before I joined. Uh, I'm doing uh, digital video with Carlin Baith, who is awesome. She's the LA Kings reporter for Bally sports West. Uh, and I will be doing some TV stuff across the networks uh, shortly. So it's, it's very, very exciting. Um, you know, I, I love CBS, loved being there. I, I was there for about four years and I have no bad things to say other than I wish that they would care about hockey more. And I know you're a former CBS guy. You can probably have the same takeaway there, but that was the biggest reason why I left. I just feel like, um, you know, I wanted to to go fully in on hockey and, my my opportunity to do that at CBS seemed pretty limited, or at least the ceiling was a bit lower. So I'm I'm very 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 happy to be at Bally and and be able to sort of spread my wings and do only hockey. Yeah, well we're we're glad that that's what you'll be doing as well. I mean, you did great work at CBS Sports. Uh, I actually remember when I was there. Geez, I think it was it was long before you ended up joining there, and they were kind of asking me for names of like who are people that we should be aware of. And I was like, well, there's this kid. Pete Blackburn that keeps saying really funny stuff on Twitter and he's he's got all these cool videos and I, I think I think he's somebody that we need to keep a, keep an eye on and they were like we're already keeping an eye on him and then of course top prospect comes to CBS and all the rest is history but yeah but I, I could totally relate with that I know I know that it's it, it can be frustrating when you're passionate about the sport you you want nothing more than everybody else to be as passionate as you are and it and 
quite frankly, it's very difficult to do that at a, at a legacy out media outlet because there's always going to be major league baseball and college basketball and college football and the NFL. I mean, I, that seems to be a thing that people care about it at CBS quite a bit. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different things, but I, I agree. Like I, the people there are great. They do phenomenal work and, um, you know, hockey is not a huge priority, but it is now at Bally sports. I think it's obviously going to become a bigger part of everybody's hockey lives. Now that it's, it's such a part of these, these regional sports networks. And, um, there are only so things that, uh, that you can, can do, uh, you know, from, uh, from your standpoint, like, uh, you can't necessarily get things on YouTube TV or things like that. There are, there are other things, but I think things will get sorted out. I'm, I'm excited about that. But what I, what I'm really interested in is, you know, this is an opportunity to spread your wings within the hockey world a little bit more than you were able to at CBS sports. So what are some of the things that kind of your goals and your aspirations for the new gig? Um, I mean, for the past handful of years, I've wanted to like, I'm always going to write. I love writing, but for the past handful of years, I want to get better at doing on video stuff. I want to mm-hmm. get better at, at, at podcasting and uh, I'm trying to get as many reps as I can. And I did at CBS for, for quite a while. Like I did CBS sports HQ for a couple of years. And I think that I got better. I mean, I, I really do think that it's the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. And, and really 80% of it is comfort. Um, and so I, I'm a lot more comfortable doing it now, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting more opportunity on camera. Um, and whether it's digital video, whether it's, uh, the RSN work and, and things like that. Um, so that's priority. And then, you know, I think just being able to, to continue to develop a voice and cover hockey in a way that's different than, than everybody else, because, I'll be the first person to tell you, I am not the smartest hockey mind. I'm not going to break down the game like a lot of other people can. Uh, I'm, 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 I border, border on stupid most of the time. So, uh, you know, I try to find ways to cover the game that isn't, um, isn't, you know, uh, I'm trying, isn't crusty and stuck up. And, you know, I think that a lot of hockey coverage is, too buttoned up or too for lack of a better term boring mm-hmm. not colorful enough that's fair so, that's fair uh, uh i think that i the, what i want to do is make it more accessible and more uh palatable for maybe a peripheral fan or um somebody who might be on the fence or somebody who's just looking for a change of pace from the traditional coverage and a big, big selling point for Bally for me was they were, were like, that's what we want. We don't want X's and O's. We want voice driven stuff. We want personality. So, um, you know, they, they're very, very good about allowing me to be creative and be weird and have fun with it. And, and I think that's such a huge benefit to why they brought you there as well. Cause I've always thought that about you, that, that you can approach it from a, from a different element. So like, I can get really into the weeds on things. And there's a lot of stuff that I cover that a very small percentage of the hockey fan base enjoys and, and is into, but, but that's what I'm into. So I'll keep doing it. And, and I've always appreciated that you really do. You could, you could get into the nuance, but you also have this kind of surface level. This is why this matters. This is, you know, and this is funny. This is something that that's different. And I, I've always appreciated that about kind of your instincts in terms of, you know, the way that you, you cover the game. So I think that that's a very important thing. I think it's a great idea by them to bring somebody like you on. It's funny when, when they announced that, you know, you had kind of announced that you were leaving CBS right around the same time that Turner announced they got the rights. And I was like, 
oh wow with like they were talking about can we have all this uh uh the stuff to bring in a younger audience i was like well that's pete you know but i was like i was like oh well bally came in there and swooped in and that was a great move for them so um i'm not trying just to blow smoke i really appreciate the work that you've done and and i think that that's uh this is a great move for you and hopefully a great move for them and 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 most importantly a great move for hockey fans because uh that's 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 i guess those are the people that we have to make happiest right yeah. And I mean, the timing of it was, was pretty funny that just was based on, on the announcement. <laughs> and like, I, I was like, I can't say what I'm doing because they, they told me they're like, we want to make an announcement. We want to do a press release and stuff. So I couldn't, I had to wait the two weeks when I was uh, in between jobs and like all these people kept speculating what, what I was going to do. I was like, I don't, I hope these people aren't going to be disappointed that are like guessing that I'm going to be on ESPN coverage <laughs> or like TNT coverage. I was like, Oh man, I hope that the people aren't trying to like, oversell what my next job is going to be but like i'm very excited about being at bally i hope that other people are excited about it as well and i hope they're not disappointed that i'm not like the wayne gretzky now of tnt <laughs> <laughs> well i thought you were going to be hockey barkley um but like you know much that's smaller. the best job yeah. that's the best job in literally much smaller yes, um, yes. <laughs> that's the best job in the world is being hockey barkley because like Barkley just gets to be wrong all the time. He and does. that's 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 the gig. That's the joke. That and guy is him. yeah, that guy has has really figured it out. He doesn't have to get anything right. <laughs> oh you're yes. I mean, hey, that's that is that is the dream. I I would love to be uh wrong that much and just be beloved for it um, right. and they yeah, literally but... have segments who he play for where he doesn't know what teams guys are on it's the best <laughs> oh man well yeah i think that's the that's gonna be the interesting thing if, if people are expecting wayne gretzky to be charles barkley oh boy i got some bad news guys yeah <laughs> and that's like what i think like the new york post might have sold it as that being like uh, tnt's hiring wayne gretzky as their uh charles barkley and it's like what was the last interesting thing that that Wayne Gretzky said on the record? Yeah, like I, I think that Wayne Gretzky is obviously an interesting person. He's arguably the best player that's ever played the game. But does that necessarily that didn't translate to being a head coach? Does that translate to being an analyst? Right. I, I think that sometimes that doesn't translate because he's so good at hockey that he's just like, hey, go out there and be the best. Yeah. And that doesn't work for anybody. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, and he's kind of in his, he's become more of an elder statesman, you know, now he's got a master class out. He's got all this stuff like that's, you know, and it, and it is, it's, it's very accessible. It's very easy. And I think it's kind of to some of the points that you made earlier about, you know, kind of legacy media and like, it can be a little boring. And so I'm, I'm intrigued to see, Hopefully he takes a couple pages out of Barkley's book because they are friends and I'm sure that, you know, he can uh, kind of pull some more personality out of him. I know there's more in there too. I mean, I think that, and, and, and being the best player in the games, you know, the, the highest scoring, you know, I don't want to offend anybody by saying he's the best player in the game, but for me, he was, and I know you got Bobby Orr in a picture behind you, so you may disagree, but either way, um, having somebody with that perspective, it, it can be interesting, but, it's not a guarantee. It's right. definitely not a guarantee. So, all right. But I, I'm glad we talked about that because I, I really do think that is, is big news. And, and now that you're kind of, you know, the Bally's is, is, is more of the, the regional sports network. You'll have a national uh, footprint as well with you there. And, you know, being a, being a Boston guy, we'll start, we'll start there because the Bruins are through, they had, a, you know, I, I think that they, I, 
I figured that that Bruins Capital Series was actually going to have some juice and 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 be a long one. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, did did that surprise you? And what do you think about the Bruins kind of going forward? I mean, I feel like this they have some uh, increased respect, even though everybody knew what they were capable of. Yeah, I thought it would be a little bit longer. I thought it'd be uh, you know a more back and forth series. Um, but you know, you look at at how that played out in terms of, you know, Washington didn't get a lot from their top six and uh, they had the injuries that they had. They had the goaltending instability. It, so like when you look at it, it does make sense that it played out the way that it did, I guess. Um, but, you know, it was still a pretty close series. Like it, it wasn't too far apart. I think the Bruins uh, top two lines got better as the series went on. And that is ultimately kind of what made the difference. But, you know, I, I do, I'm torn on the Bruins because I, I think that they just beat probably the best team uh, in, in terms of uh, like in that, that bracket. I, I do like the yeah. Islanders. Um, I would love for them to get the Penguins because I don't trust Tristan Jari at all. Um, <laughs> uh, no, so, no. You know, I, I think that they, they're probably in a really good shape to move on to the final four. But I don't know if I put them in like that elite contending class because they have holes on, you know, in terms of depth, we saw that in the cap series, the caps depth was so much better than theirs. Uh, uh, you know, the bottom six and the, the, the fourth line in particular yep. just got ran over for a lot of that series. And they have issues on defense in terms of who they can trust. And so, you know, I, I don't know if I'm fully putting all my chips in on the Bruins this year, but I was impressed with their performance since the trade deadline. Taylor Hall has been amazing um, and sort of has transformed that team. And, you know, you're much better off when you got two lines as opposed to one. And, yeah. you know, I think moving forward, they have inspired a little bit more confidence than than I would have expected. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, being in the market and understanding how he's treated. I mean, I think Tuka Rask also deserves quite a bit of credit for, for what he's done and, and has done throughout his career, really to, to the surprise of seemingly many people that, that he's actually one of the best postseason goalies around. I mean, like preaching the choir, man. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't have to convince you of this, but I mean, you know that, and then I think also people are going to get a much better feel and idea of what, Charlie McAvoy is all about. I think he's been phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there are a lot of things that, that are going well at the right time, but I agree. I think that this is the time of year where you definitely need more from your depth. And I think we saw that that's why the Edmonton Oilers are no longer with us. RIP. Um, but that, you know, th that's going to be a, a thing that comes up, but, but really when you have goaltending, you have a chance. And so, I mean, just, you know, get, just sing the praises of Tuka Rask, if you will. And, and why is it? And obviously I don't, you know, I'm not in the, I, I don't listen to Boston sports radio. I don't have, you know, I mean, that's probably a good thing for me. I, I've heard, I've heard brainworms could be a result of that, but yes. Um, yes, the certain side effects be aware. Um, but why, what, what has made him such a lightning rod over the years, aside from, you know, yeah, he can be a little bit acerbic. Sometimes he can be a little bit standoffish. He can be uh, enigmatic, if you will. Yeah, I think that it stems like if you're if you're writing a book about why Tukarask is sort of the divisive figure that he is in Boston, I think you have to go all the way back to 2010. And, you know, he was the goaltender 
where the Bruins went up 3-0 and they blew that series against the Flyers. He was the guy in net. Then the very following year, Tim Thomas gets the call in the playoffs and has one of the, the best postseason runs for a goaltender of all time and is the single-handedly the biggest reason why they win that Stanley Cup. And so, like, Tim Thomas is hailed as a god in Boston and just, like, he can do nothing wrong. And Tuka Rask is the unreliable guy behind him. And you, I think that that sort of embedded itself, that narrative embedded itself uh, in Tuka Rask. Not, not in Tuka Rask himself, but, like, right. the, 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 the region's perspective or a good portion of the region's perspective on Tuka Rask. And then you have uh, 2013 happens. He's unbelievable for the, that that entire run basically. And then the two goals in 17 seconds. And for some reason that just becomes his fault. And it really isn't like you go back, you watch those goals. They're not his fault, but you know, people blame it. It's the, you, there's the, the mindset that you have to point the finger at a single person. And that happens too much in hockey. And the easiest guy to point the finger at is the one who lets the puck past him and gives up the goal. And it's the goaltender. So, you know, I think that it's just a, a lazy, very lazy, very easy scapegoat to point the finger at Tukarask, especially if you have it in your mind that he can't get it done in big games, even though he's proved time and time again over the course of his career that he's one of the best playoff goalies that's ever played the game. Like yeah. the numbers speak for themselves. He has been so, so good. And like, again, it happens in 2019. He's so good during that run. They get to the Stanley Cup final. He's still pretty good during the Stanley Cup final. And then you get to a game seven and Jordan Bennington outplays him. Like credit to Jordan Bennington. But Tuka Rask is not the reason that they lost game seven. Right. The team laid an egg. They couldn't score a goal. And, and you know, you have a backbreaking goal at the end of the first period where Brad Marchand, bad change. It's so many things that, that lead to, you know, I would say blowing that series if you're the Bruins because I thought they were the better team. Yeah. So many things culminating in them blowing that series. But the easiest thing to do is say that Tuka Rask stunk in game seven and that they lost the game. And he's the reason why they, they don't have a Stanley Cup. And it's not true. It's simply not true. Yeah. Well, thank you for for that passionate defense, because I agree. I mean, I, I he's just been one of those guys. I mean, 927 career save percentage in the postseason. I mean, pretty, you know, not a great not a great showing in the bubble and he pulled the shoot obviously. And, but for reasons that were, you know, this is a that's, guy that that's has a whole, a that's a whole nother can, can of worms. Exactly. Where it's like, and we don't even need to get into it, but just because, I mean, at the end, it, I, I, I've been, I've said it many times is like, you know, there, there is life outside of hockey and there are things that need to be tended to. And I would never, you know, that was a tough situation for those guys to be in. And I think that we all need to give them a little bit more slack, but um, I do want to move on because I think this is another, you know, especially with somebody with your sense of humor and uh, and sense of whimsy, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers get swept out of the playoffs. Now I have a serious question. From to your sensibilities, is it more funny or more sad? It's a little bit of both. Like, I'm yeah. not going to lie. I enjoy making the McDavid memes that yeah. like he's, he's being hugged by pain and suffering at the airport and just looking <laughs> yeah. so miserable. I mean, yes. the, the memes are funny when that stuff happens, but I do feel really, really bad. Like I felt really mm -hmm. bad when it happened uh, to Alex Ovechkin. I felt really bad that it happens to Tuka Rask. Like, it, it honestly bums me out 
when people find reasons to cartwheel themselves into saying that like a generational player sucks or that right. like he has this downfall that that you know probably isn't his fault like you look at anybody with a brain looks at the oilers and goes eh, that team's probably not going to do much I, I did i think that they were going to be swept no especially going up against a team like the winnipeg jets where like their defense kind of stinks and yeah. you know it, it, i thought that it was going to be um, and you know, the thing is it was a pretty close series. The, the, the sweep doesn't do it a lot of justice, but like the Oilers played decently enough where like they probably deserved a game or two, at least, uh, mm -hmm. in that series. But like, you also have to look at it and say, you know, Connor McDavid had 22 points against the, the Winnipeg jets this season. He had four points, uh, in this series. So, you know, he still led the Oilers in scoring and a point per game, you know, with, you know, in a vacuum is pretty good. Right. But obviously that team relies on Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle to absolutely drag their lifeless body to relevancy. And that didn't happen. And like, obviously they started off the first couple of games and were shut down. And that's a problem. It's, it's, I think that, that McDavid and Dreisettle would probably tell you, we could have been better in those first couple mm -hmm. of games, but there is something to be said about like, if you need your best players to be, you know, godlike to even give yourselves a chance to win games. Well, that's, that speaks to roster construction. That's not those guys fault if right. they're, if they have an off night. So, you know, I, I think that if you're looking to point, point fingers and, and place blame on why that series went wrong, you can say that McDavid and dry should have been better, but you can also say, that you know that team wasn't built to win right and i think that's that's a really key thing because one of the one of the things that we have obviously in the nhl as we've seen time and time again it, it helps to have star players it helps to have guys like you know the blackhawks having jonathan daves and patrick kane and and the kings having kopitar and dowdy and you know and and all this other other stuff but you know those teams are nothing without the depth players that they were able to bring in. And this is years on years of not being able to build a credible system or team around the best player in the world. So, I mean, you know, and, and that's the thing I always get similar to you. I get really frustrated by teams that or by people that, that kind of try to place blame singularly on one person. And I mean, Connor McDavid, despite all of the deficiencies, deficiencies that we just noted about the team that he plays on, still had one of the greatest scoring seasons in the history of the game. And yes, it was against the North division, but there are plenty of other guys that struggled in the North division and left and became superstars in other divisions too. So, I mean, I think that they're still playing against NHL players and, and, and I fall into the category of, you know, did I laugh when I woke up that morning? Because I definitely fell asleep in the middle of the, of that overtime. Um, uh, yes. Yes. I, I, I thought that's kind of funny, not because of McDavid. I wasn't laughing at Connor. I was kind of more laughing at the Oilers and certainly not their fans. I'm sorry, Oilers fans, but it really sucks that this happened. But, but, you know, and then I'm just thinking about, well, this is just terrible for the league, especially heading into this new media rights deal where we're trying to, you know, our expectation is that ESPN and Turner, they'll be able to kind of lift up some of those Canadian franchises because, and, and make them a, a more entertaining or, or at least a more credible television property in the U S because of the star players, because those networks seem to know how to market star players a little bit better. But at the same time, I mean, you know, what's going to happen if the, if the Oilers can't reach the playoffs or can't, you know, have a long run in the playoffs, 
year after year after year. And really, it's not like they have a rebuild package or anything like that. It, you know, there's a lot there that needs to be fixed that is going to take some time to get to the level that it needs to be at. So, yeah. And, and like, I'm bummed for Connor, but I'm pretty much on the, on the border of being legitimately furious at the Oilers for not right. being able to put together a good team. Because when you have two of the best offensive players in the league that are as electric and as Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and, and, you know, Connor McDavid is the best player in the league. And, and right. I, there's no doubt in my mind about that. When that guy, it, when that guy and another guy who's, who's very, very good offensively are out of the playoffs after four games, that's bad for the league. That's bad yeah. for the product. It's, you know, you want to sell Connor McDavid. So for like the Oilers to continuously fail and waste prime years of one of the best offensive players that I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. It's, it's infuriating. <laughs> it, it is, it is infuriating. And it's, and it's something that I think the league, like the league, I'm, you know, they're not going to step in and tell a team how to run themselves. And, they probably would screw that up anyway if they tried, but still, it's just kind of one of those things where we need, we, I mean, we need to uh, get Connor some help. Somebody send Connor some help, please. Somebody Anybody. write into the CBA that if you can't win a playoff series with like two of the best offensive players that they just get released into free agency. Yeah, yeah And it's just a bidding war and the salary cap doesn't apply to them. <laughs> right. So it's just like, just go ahead. And I guess, I guess they both become Maple Leafs at that point, but anyway, all right. So one of the other teams that has moved on um, and, and we should mention the jets. I mean, also all time nut shot for uh, Blake Wheeler and he, uh, and is uh, getting the win. Um, Unbelievable and, uh, response too. Oh, it's just like, well, uh, I'm not, I don't want more kids, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know, and Blake Wheeler, I, I just want to spend a second on him because I think he's, a, you know, this year he wasn't the Blake Wheeler that we've come become used to where he's, you know, a top scorer in the league. And obviously he's a freight train on skates and all these other things where, um, you know, he wasn't quite as good, but you know, he, he makes that play uh, obviously got a former, former Bruin, former uh, thrasher and uh, long live the thrash. And the thing about him is um, you know, he was one of those guys and when he was with the Bruins and even before that, when he was at the university of Minnesota, I was like, how can this guy be this big and be that soft? And he is completely changed his entire kind of persona as this leader that will sacrifice anything, including apparently his future child rearing potential. <laughs> um, and also, you know, other things like, you know, just he's, he's gotten been, been known to fight a bit more. He's, you know, he's certainly a guy that can block shots. I mean, so we've kind of watched him grow into this player and now he's got the jets moving on to the next round and, and they're going to give, I believe it'll be Toronto. They're going to give the Maple Leafs some, some trouble, uh, as well. So, I mean, just at having seen his maturation, what do you think of, of Blake Wheeler and maybe some of the other jets that uh, made a name for themselves in this series? Yeah. I mean, Blake Wheeler is a really interesting case because people in Boston love to talk about like the stars that they've given up over the years, like, right. the, like Phil Castle, like, uh, like Tyler Sagan and uh, Dougie Hamilton, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on. And, and nobody ever seems to really mention Blake Wheeler. And maybe it's because he brought back some like very key pieces for their right. Stanley cup team. But I think it's also very much because he is, he was not the player that he is right now. And, and like, he has very much become a better, smarter, tougher, like all around it just, he has it. And I feel like it's kind of rare to see a guy come into the league and sort of struggle like he did and have the, 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 the problems that he did and 
do a really, really good job of correcting them and having a, a long, successful career after that. And like in Boston, I remember uh, Blake Wheeler was a punching bag because he was constantly offsides he just had zero <laughs> iq and when to enter the zone and it was it was horrible to watch so like seeing what blake wheeler has become is is really really cool and uh he seems like a very nice guy and very very likable and has found a like a long-term home where he's appreciated in winnipeg and that's cool um another guy in in winnipeg that's been i think a lot of people know that he's awesome but uh, Nick Ehlers yeah. has been uh, amazing. He's so much fun to watch. He's electric. Uh, you know, his speed, his shot, his skating ability is, is really, really incredible. So, um, you know, I'm glad that he's find being able to find the spotlight. And I think that uh, Patrick Line being out of there helps him a little For bit sure. too, just in For terms sure. of seizing that that buzz. So uh, I'm very excited that he's sort of kind of coming into his own a little bit more mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, such a good guy to point out too, because he did get lost a bit behind lining. And then, I mean, you know, and then you have Hellebuck winning Vesna trophies and you have Kyle Connor scoring 30 goals in a season. And then all of a sudden, you know, the shuffle is around and then we, we get into the land of, uh, of a thousand takes that Nick Ehlers is the most underrated player in the NHL and all those other things that'll, that'll probably come. Uh, but but I'm really excited to to see kind of his glow up from this postseason. Hopefully, um, especially coming in injured and then scoring those those two goals and that, that OT winner was just absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, and certainly as we mentioned, Connor Hellebuck, Kyle Connor, you know, Dightly. Neil Pionk has stepped up in a huge way. That blue line was a huge concern. I love the way that Neil Pionk played, mm -hmm. um, who they got for in the Truba trade. So, you know, the the Jets. They, they always seem to find a way, man. I, I mean, they, they, they are a very interesting team, and I think they're going to give uh, probably Toronto, because we're recording this before that series is over, uh, a tough ride. Um, but one of, the, one of the teams that I think is probably the most exciting is the Colorado Avalanche. And, and my question to you, Pete Blackburn, is can anyone possibly skate with them? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's you say they're the most exciting team in the league. They weren't in the first round because they were so much better than the Blues. Very true. The, Very true. Like, the, the, like that. It's it's sort of a bummer when a team is that good that it's like not even worth tuning in to watch because right. you know that they're just going to steamroll this team. So like I'm going to watch <laughs> the closer games. So uh, I mean, we, we've all been waiting for for Colorado Vegas for the past two years. It was such a bummer that we didn't get it last year based on, you know, their regular season matchups. We're all waiting for it. And like for a while, it looked like Minnesota might mess it up. And like, they, there's still time. They still could mess it up. Um, but I'm hoping because I think that if there is a team that can stand in Colorado's way before the Stanley cup final, it's going to be Vegas. I pick Vegas to win the Stanley cup in, mm -hmm. in my bracket. Like I really, really like their ability to you know play a 200 foot game and take away time and space and really disrupt uh, a team's system so you know the skill is obviously there for the avalanche but i am curious to see how much vegas can stir the pot and frustrate them and maybe throw them off their game based on how good they are at, at forechecking and really closing gaps and taking taking away time and space yeah, I think that's going to be really a fascinating matchup for all the reasons you just said. Um, and and I, I'm really, I'm really excited to see that. I mean, well, we're assuming that the the Golden Knights move past the Wild here um, in, in the series as as they are playing the night that we are recording this. 
Um, you know, but I also think that that, that is just a, such a better matchup against the abs. It's the most compelling matchup. Um, and, and then obviously Mark Andre Fleury has been an unbelievable player in this postseason, one of the best that we have. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch, watch them play in. Yeah. But I mean, any, any chance we can get to see more Connor McDavid, more, more Kale McCarr. Uh, I mean, who knew that Philip Grubauer was going to be a, a stopper? Um, you know, we'll have to see once he once he goes up against a team that might actually, you know, have the puck a little bit um, in, <laughs> right. in the next in the next round. And can um, I say that I, I feel really bad for the Minnesota Wild because, like, the Minnesota Wild have been waiting forever, maybe their entire franchise history, to have a team this good and be relevant and be exciting. And the year that they finally do it, they are in that division where they're going up against probably like, if not the two best teams in hockey, two of the very best teams in hockey. And they get stuck with a first round matchup against uh, Vegas, who, you know, they're running with Vegas. They're putting together a good series against Vegas. And I think that speaks to the kind of team that Minnesota has and Minnesota should be very excited, but it is such a bummer that they sort of ran into that buzzsaw this year. Yeah. It'll be interesting once we go back and everything gets realigned and, and then, you know, for the next, for the next postseason, they might be able to go on a little run. You'll have cap Caprizov. You'll have Boldy probably, you know, Kalen Addison is getting into the games now as well. You know, can Cam Talbot continue to be, you know, that guy, I think that he's, He's one of those guys he had basically had one bad season. We're like, oh, he's he's no good anymore. And he's he's been he's been pretty darn good. So, uh, yeah, and the, it, it is interesting because the Wild are always that team. Like I felt like the Wild and the, and the Senators like the, the Wild were like the Senators of the United States, although far more competitive because but they, but they just kind of never had were, that mainstream they, pull. Yeah, they were always competitive, but it always seemed like they were they were not good enough to be like for real, but not right. bad enough to, to really take the next step by getting that game changer through the, through the lottery or whatever. So right. it was sort of the worst place to be stuck where it's like, you're in no man's land, not bad enough to be relevant and not good enough to be super relevant. Yeah. That is, I almost think that's a, that's a tougher place to be than say a rebuilding team. Cause a rebuilding team, you're like, well, we're getting somewhere. Right. And when you're a middle of the road team and you're stuck, like, like the wild hat, have been as a franchise I, I i feel like caprizov i feel like boldy those are kinds of guys that will help them yeah they're foundational because, pieces yeah they're yeah. foundational guys and, and and they'll be exciting kevin um, fiala too others. by the way absolutely yeah, really really great pickup by them and they're and, right and, and, and one of paul fenton's better deals i mean right. you know like some of the stuff that he did looks a lot better in hindsight you yes. know it's it's yeah. you know, that first draft pick still not not looking great but um that's just uh, we'll we'll leave it at that but anyway so I also, Pete, I wanted to talk to you, you know, you've made a career move now, but you know, you've been around and and been in the hockey scene for, for quite some time. I mean, you're not a very old guy, but you have, you've been around and you've kind of grown up with, with hockey Twitter as it really became kind of a thing. And, and it, it launched many a career, (laughs) including my own. Um, So, you know, I think that it's kind of interesting to see everybody get, get this opportunity, but you know, how did, how did it kind of start for you? I mean, what, what was your background to kind of even get into this? And when did you kind of start noticing that your voice was one that people were actually paying attention to and following and enjoying? 
Uh, I mean, like for me, I feel like I kind of scammed my way in, honestly, because uh, um, when I was in college, I had a blog and I would do, you know, nobody was reading it really. And it, it, it was really just beneficial for reps, but it was also beneficial because I wanted to supplement my own stuff with, with the media. And like, I wanted to be able to gift whatever I wanted and be able to insert that in posts and, and video and things like that. And so that pushed me forward to being like, you mentioned gift boy, like it meant it pushed me forward to being that media guy on Twitter, just, you know, honestly for my own use. Um, but you know, it, it sort of grew from there because that stuff is super shareable. Everybody knows that now, but like, right. I was one of the earliest like giffers right. dedicated to hockey so, uh, like that really helped grow or my, my brand and like my Twitter account organically, but it also got me on the radar of a lot of people that mattered in the space. Like, uh, you know, like Greg Wyshynski, like, uh, a lot of media people, a lot of writers and stuff would follow me before that, not because they cared what I had to say or thought I was funny or whatever, uh, but because they, they needed the, the media to help supplement their own coverage because yeah. I was like the only guy doing it. And so that sort of put me on the radar and, uh, it, it, it kind of gave me a, a back channel to getting into media and tricking people into thinking that I was valuable and that I, that my <laughs> voice should be heard. And, um, you know, I think that I, I will give myself some credit that I was able to sort of parlay it into providing value beyond the gifts and, and beyond the, the, the videos and things like that. Um, because, you know, we see it now, like I've, I've sort of taken a step back. I'm still doing that stuff here and there, but I'm, I don't want to be the gift guy. I don't want to be the video guy, especially now because it exists in so many places on uh, on Twitter. Like you don't need me anymore. If <laughs> if like you can find any replay, any highlight you want without following me because so many people are doing it. The league is even doing it now. So right. like I needed to find ways to provide value beyond that. And so like I think through through writing and and you know whatever my humor my voice whatever i've been able to to turn that into like a bigger thing but it really got started by establishing you know a a following through the media yeah yeah and i mean i i'm i'm certain that's how i found you as well i mean i think when i was at cbs was like oh man this this thing that happened in this game i gotta i gotta write you know 300 words about it and then i need some imagery and oh there's pete blackburn you know so He's got it right away. And but one of the things that I do want to point out about that is, is that there, there is a tiny bit of an art form to it. And there's also a lot of news judgment that goes into that. Like you were, you were picking out plays. It wasn't always the goal. It wasn't always the big hit or a fight. It was something unique that you spotted that you were able to kind of turn into a shareable item. Like maybe it was somebody flipping a stick to another guy or so, you know, and it was just kind of cool. And then you know, when, when I was at CBS, it was much more of a time where there was a lot of aggregation. There was a lot of watch this, look at this, here's this picture, short stuff that people could just go and fly by. Now they don't even need that anymore because it's just, it's on Twitter. And it, once you see the one thing, you don't need to see it anymore. Uh, but it was a way to disseminate it in, in, in a greater way. But I, I still think that you also had, you know, kind of a sensibility of what hockey fans wanted. So I wonder how did that kind of develop for you? How did, how did you figure things out where, you know, I know that this is something that's going to, 
like hockey fans are going to go nuts for. And this is something that's going to be super shareable. I mean, how did you kind of develop that? Was it just the process and, and, and where did it kind of go from for you uh, in those early stages when you started doing that? Yeah, I don't know. Like at the beginning, I kind of was just firing from the hip and and seeing <laughs> yeah. what kind of stuck. And, and like towards the beginning, I was doing a lot of smaller stuff that like nobody really cared about. Like I in the in the early years, I would gift like every goal that happened in the playoffs. And, and you know, it, it took a little while, but eventually I figured out like that's a waste of time because right, nobody right. cares about like a, a, a little crappy goal. Like the media people care about that, but the fans don't care about that. So it's, it's not going to do numbers or anything like it, it took a while, but to get a feel for it, it was more like if, if something's funny, if something is shareable, if, if people want to be like, wow, look at this, that's the stuff you put out there, whether, you know, for better or for worse whether it's a, a very cool play, whether it's something funny. And I think like, the, honestly, the, the thing that I'm most proud of is, is making the beautiful game a thing. Uh, <laughs> yes. And like, that is sort of like <laughs> stuck to being part of my brand. And I'm very, very, very happy about that because it, it not only, it, I think, is it like a funny thing that is sort of like a service to hockey fans, but it's also, I get to see every chaotic, ridiculous thing that ever happens in hockey, because anytime it happens, people will tag me in like, and add the beautiful game. And it's so, so funny to me. And that's the stuff that I love. Like I love right. having a sense of humor about how dumb and chaotic hockey can be a lot of the times. So um, like that, that stuff has been really, really cool to me, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's more of just getting a feel for what works on Twitter and, and, and what doesn't and what people actually care about. Yeah. And I think, also over time, in addition to, you know, gifts and other things, you're starting to add commentary, you're starting to add your own spin on things or your own take on things, your opinions, and then also your humor as well. And I think that that's probably something that really resonated. So, you know, when, when did you kind of find the confidence to, because putting yourself out there and like be trying to be funny on Twitter, I and mean, we all try to do it. It doesn't always work out. You know, I think you've had a lot of success with it over the years. Um, you know, when did that kind of start happening? Cause I feel like that's really when you started taking off even a bit more. Yeah. It was sort of like when, um, when other people started to figure out how to do that stuff, because again, like once it started popping up, popping up elsewhere, I knew that I needed to sort of differentiate what sure. I was doing. And I, I I'm confident in my voice and being able to, to, to be, you know, not the funniest guy in the world. I'm not a comedian, but like, I think that I, I can provide a little bit of extra oomph to some stuff and I'm not afraid to like to be crass or be, right. uh, you know, you know, toe the line a little bit. And, uh, you know, I also think that over the years I've learned when to take my commentary out of it. And, um, you know, honestly, for like the sake of my own mental health, because hockey Twitter can be just a vile place sometimes. <laughs> and uh, like, especially when it comes to uh, when it comes to like, uh, like hit Twitter and suspension Twitter. I, oh I've, I, I'm taking my commentary completely out of it most of the time yeah. because you're not going to win. And, you know, I'm going to end up getting look staring at my mentions and just my blood is going to boil for like 24 hours. And it doesn't matter how clear cut something is as somebody who watches hockey all the time. Like if, if you have, if you have a good sense of, of what is, what is right and what is wrong it doesn't matter because there's always going to be the other side uh, being, you know, putting, putting together an argument, no matter what. So Absolutely. I've sort of, I've sort of taken myself out of those arguments and letting people 
uh, you know, I'll throw it out there still and I'll, I'll mute the conversation and let people fight amongst themselves. Like it's basically like throwing a bone to a bunch of wild rabid dogs and then walking down the street and forgetting about it. So uh, that's, I think that's been very beneficial to me as much as uh, injecting myself into the conversation in, in other places. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a wise decision. I, I also think that it's great to like, pull the pin on the grenade, throw it, and then walk away. I think that's yeah. typically the better better thing. I actually, the other night when there was the uh, the goaltender interference call against the Predators, and and I, I was just seeing every take, every take possible about goalie interference. And so I was like, do I have anything to add to this? And so I just, I just decided I, I was just going to say, and I hope that people got it, where it's just like, I've, I've read all of your opinions, and, I, and I'm here to say I agree with you. <laughs> I just, I, I agree. And, and then I think that, because it was just, everybody has a take. And, and I think that's actually good advice is like, you don't need to have an opinion on every single thing. And if yeah. you do, you're going to burn yourself out. Cause that, that was, I mean, when I was at CBS and we were doing things, it was like, gosh, I have to have a take on everything, don't I? And it was just kind of, it becomes very exhausting. So I highly recommend take a few and, takes off everybody. Take a few Yeah, takes. absolutely. And like, I think for me, a big thing is recognizing that I don't understand. I don't know and understand mm -hmm. everything. Like a big, a fun thing about hockey for me is that I'm still learning stuff that I didn't know, like every season Absolutely. and, and stuff will, will come up in weird situations. And I'll be like, huh, that's the rule. And, and like, I, I think that, that too often people on Twitter, whether it's writers, whether it's fans, they think they know everything. And sometimes it's very cool and very awesome to be like, whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah. Or like, hey, I'm not really sure about this one. Can somebody help me? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's so afraid to ask for help or like outsource information. It, it's very helpful. You have thousands of people who are willing to give you their opinion and some of them will be wrong, but more, more than likely you'll get something a value, valuable uh, valuable response that teaches you something that you didn't know, or gives you a perspective that you didn't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, one of the great things about sports in general is you are constantly going to learn things that you don't know. And if we didn't do that, then it would make it a lot less interesting. So I'm always, I, I always love, you know, learning different things and picking up new things and, and yes. And sometimes you can put it out there. Like, I don't know what to make of this. And then everybody's well, you're an idiot. So, you know, like that's, you know, that yeah. happens too, but, but yeah, but, you know, for, you also mentioned something that I think is really important for, for like younger people that want to get into media and you, you know, you started a blog and I think that that it almost sounds passe now, like, because it's just, you know, we, a lot of us did that. Mm -hmm. And some of us had blogs that people in the industry read and some had people, nobody read it. But I do think that the value of writing and just starting, you know, which is basically what you did. You just like, I started now, now when you went to school, you studied journalism, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and you don't have to do that. I mean, like I did as well, but it's like, you don't have to do that. If you want to write about hockey, start writing about hockey and, and do it in a place where it can be viewed publicly. It holds mm -hmm. you accountable to a certain degree. And, and you kind of look at, and, and then you just progress and you can keep doing other things and you add things. And I think another thing that, that, you know, fascinates me about your career is you've continued to add versatility. You do things like a Twitch stream. You've had podcasts. You, you're, you're still on podcasts now. Listen to brunch, people. Um, is that still, are, we, are, are you still allowed yeah. to, to do brunch? Yep. Thank God. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think, 
I think that would have caused a riot in the, in the internet, if there was no brunch, um, we all love brunch, but, um, but anyway, you know, I think for you, you've had all these different things that you've kind of been able to do in your career and, and, and the importance of versatility. And you mentioned, you're going to have an opportunity to do more TV reps now. So, I mean, we don't know what the future holds, but what is, what is it, what have you learned over these last couple of years where media has really kind of shifted and, and, and evolved? Yeah. I mean, it, I, honestly, like it's, it's, it's a thing where, it, you know, you have to be willing to try new things and you have to be willing to fail at new things. Like, and it doesn't matter if you fail, like nobody's <laughs> going to care. I swear. Nobody's going to care if you fail at something. They're going to forget about it in five minutes if it, if it doesn't work. So like the biggest thing that I've always told people is like, I have kids a lot that are like, how do you crack the industry? How do you like, what's the biggest piece of advice do you have? And for me, it's just, it's, it's frigging doing stuff. Like that's the only way that you can figure out what you're good at, what you want to do. Like you're never going to figure out what, what you want to do by thinking about what you want to do. You have to actually get out there and do it. And so, like I mentioned that I went to school for journalism and the biggest thing that, that majoring in journalism did for me was making me realize that I didn't want to be a traditional journalist because, um, you know, I went to school and it was a requirement of my college to do three internships over the four years. And I did my internships at traditional media outlets. And when I got in there, I was excited. Like I was like, I wanted to be a newspaper writer. I wanted to, to do like, uh, like local coverage or whatever. And, and I got in there and I realized how much of a mess it was, how miserable a lot of these people were and how jaded they were. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to do this. And, and so like when I talked about backdooring my way in, I think that that was the only way that I was going to do it because I, I wasn't interested in going to like some small Midwestern market and, you know, doing local TV or like a very small newspaper. I don't think like covering college sports or or, uh, high school sports, like there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want right. to do. But I realized that that was not where I was going to be happy. And like, I didn't want to to do that grind, honestly. Like, that's not what I wanted to do. And I saw a way around it. And I and I took that path. So, um, you know, I, I think that that stuff is super valuable to figure out what you want to do, even if it's to realize that you hate it. Right. Like, for me, I, I, I was... I I had the mindset early on that like sports is so important to me that if I worked in sports and I didn't enjoy it and it dampened my enjoyment of sports that I was just going to do something else. Like I was going to work in a cube, do a nine to five. It doesn't matter to me because sports is so important to me that I want that full enjoyment. I want to be able to clock out and go home and be able to watch it and, and love it. So if I have to work it and I hate it, that takes away that like one of the things that I am most passionate about in life. And I'm not cool with that. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, getting your hands dirty, figuring out how to do things and, you know, being self-aware of what you're good at and what you're not. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great advice. And, and really, I mean, if you look at it, the job that you have right now did not exist when you started, <laughs> right. you know, and so the only way to get to those jobs is to do a whole bunch of different things, figure out what you're good at, and then have an opportunity to, to move forward. But 
and you know, and like a big yeah, piece yeah. of it is don't underestimate what people can be interested in or might be interested in like you oh, can look at, at, at like a landscape and say well this doesn't exist so I, I i can't be successful doing that it not existing might be the biggest thing you have going for you Absolutely. because there is an interest in everything like a few years ago probably like five six years ago somebody was like you should be in on Twitch because you like video games and I think Twitch is going to blow up and it's going to be huge. And at the time I like looked at the Twitch model and I was like, there's no way that people will be interested in watching me play video games. And boy, was I ever wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and that esports has blown up and like Twitch is more than just esports. I do sports stuff on that. I just have conversations. It's a world of possibilities. And God, if I don't, I don't have a lot of regrets, uh, but like, God, if I don't regret not being in on the somewhat ground floor of Twitch five or six years ago and being able to establish and have a head start on being in that space because now I'm working from behind. Everybody's on Twitch. Everybody's trying right. to make that work. And it's a very, uh, it's a very crowded space. Um, and I'm having a great time on it. And, and, but I, I'm fighting to, to be somebody of relevance in that space. And had I done it five, six years ago, I would have been miles ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing. And you know, that, that you kind of recognize that. And it's also good to let other people know. Yeah. just, you, you really never know. And it's uh, until you try it and, and do it for yourself. That's the, that's the best that you can do at that, at that point. But yeah, Pete, you know, it's been awesome to kind of watch your, your career kind of blossom over the course of the years, just on Twitter. Um, but you know, now that, now that you're here and you have a chance to, to, to look back, I mean, do you, can you even really pinpoint what you would call like your break in the business? Like it just seems like it's been a real steady progression to various jobs. And, and this is the way it goes for anybody that doesn't realize it. Like you got to do a bunch of different things and until you end up where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And, and you've, you've kind of done that throughout your career. So do you have a, a sense of like when everything kind of clicked for you? Not really. And I still, <laughs> I still very much feel like I, I'm still figuring it out and I have no idea where I'm headed or what's in, what's in store for me. But like, again, it's like, if I'm having a good time, that's good enough for me. Like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm getting paid and I'm making a living, just being like an idiot on the internet and in watching <laughs> sports, it's always going to be good enough for me. And, um, you know, I, I think that like, I started to see a little bit of movement. Um, if I had to pinpoint like a specific time, it was whatever Olympics it was um, in uh, might have been Sochi. No, yeah, so was so so was Sochi uh, like twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen, yeah, it might have been that then because uh, like when I was doing the hockey gifts then for the Olympics. It was like games at two in the morning, four in the morning, seven in the morning. Yeah. And I think that that really put me on a lot of people's radar being like, who the hell is this psycho kid at, <laughs> at up at four in the morning, gifting uh, like hockey games between Latvia and, and Russia or whatever it was. Right. Like, who who is this person? And so like I think that put me on a lot of people's maps and sort of got the ball rolling. But like in terms of career wise. It was probably the job at, at Uproxx um, because like yep. that was the first legitimate like 
oh, I'm, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. And this is a very internet rooted magazine thing that I'm writing for. And it allows me to be weird and be crass and, and have a, a really strong voice that, that people are actually going to read. That was probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it, it always helps when somebody says, Hey, we like what you're doing. We would like to give you money to do that for right. us. Yeah. And that is, and, and, and it's, it, it always is bizarre when it happens. You're just like, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe so, somebody really wants me to do this. And I mean, I remember like, you know, for me, I think it was around the time where, where CBS had put me on, on contract. I was like, Oh, wait, okay. Whoa. This is a thing that I can actually do full time. And, you know, cause we all freelance, we do all these other things and, and it's hard to do, but you know, you just kind of keep grinding and you hope for the best and you know, it worked out. So he, I, I kept you way longer than I wanted to, but I feel like we got to a lot of, of cool stuff here. And I, it, you know, I just, from my perspective, being able to see what you've been able to accomplish and now to take another step um, is exciting for me as somebody that enjoys your work and, and has followed your career. So uh, I wish you nothing but the best of this. I really thank you for coming on here. I think you've given a lot of great advice for the listeners as well. Um, and, and just, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun to, fun to do it. So thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is long overdue. I should have said this at the beginning, but like you are somebody that I look up to and like, I very much love your work. You are extremely smart. You're way smarter than me. Um, but I also appreciate your appreciation for me because I, <laughs> I know that not, I'm not appreciated by a lot of people in the, the hockey media who think that like I scammed my way in and I admit that I did. And I appreciate like you, uh, you know, uh, you have a sense of humor. You have a personality. You're not yeah. afraid to show that. And I, I, I admire that because you are very smart and you are established in the space and you're well-respected, but you also have a personality. And I always, <laughs> always love to make it, uh, to, to sort of acknowledge that because it's needed. It's so well, needed. Well, well, Pete, I thank you very much. And I think, yeah, when we, we all came up through this Twitter time where we were all just trying to goof around and, and have some fun. And for some of us, it worked out pretty well. Um, I can't, I'm not going to lie. So, and, and for you to take the next step to uh, mainstream, I mean, Bally sports, you, you don't know it yet. A lot of people don't know it yet, but they're going to know it. And it's going to be a big part of their sports viewing lives. So uh, get used to seeing a lot more Pete Blackburn, whether that's a good thing for you or not, you know, as the great Ric Flair says, you better learn to love it. So, uh, right. cause it's, it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, but Pete, thanks so much again. Uh, a pleasure. Thank you for the kind words as well. And I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thank you. You too. And once again, my thanks to Pete Blackburn. And I, I should have said this while he was on here, but I'll say it now is, you know, he, he, he joked about kind of scheming his way in the back door and, and that's kind of how everybody kind of does it. You have to get found sometimes, sometimes you need a lucky break. However, I think that talent always finds a way and not only talent, but being unique is a, is a very important thing. And I think that Pete speaks to a new generation of hockey fans. Um, I think he comes at it from a, from a more entertaining perspective when it's less X's and O's and things like he talked about. And that matters when you have that variety. I think it really goes a long way and allows people to, uh, experience coverage in a different way. All right. So now this is the part of the podcast where I wanted to turn it over to you, the listeners, 
the people that follow me on Twitter, my subscribers at Hockey Sense. And just a reminder, if you don't want to listen to the Q&A and would rather read it at, at your leisure, you can do that at Hockey Sense. I'm going to have this entire thing with a little bit more nuance, too, in some of the answers. Um, I'm actually answering them on the podcast first, and then I'm going to go back and kind of re-answer them in, in, in a bit of a a transcript, but I'm also going to be able to provide just a little bit more nuance and detail in that. So if you want to go back and learn more about some of these answers that I'm going to give uh, uh, over audio, you can do that. And, and the best thing for you to do at this point is to subscribe to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. That's hockeysense.substack.com. This piece will be free, but I've got two mock drafts coming up. I've got one before the draft lottery, which is on June 2nd. Uh, of the the draft lotteries on June second, we'll have a, a a mock draft before that with as if there was no lottery and we just do the straight order. And then there's also going to be one after the lottery. So those will have a couple of differences because when I do a mock draft, it's not necessarily what I have for my draft rankings, which have already kind of shifted since the world under 18s. And I'll also be posting an update for that. So if you are interested in the 2021 draft, now is the time to subscribe. It's just $6 a month, $54 for an annual, which essentially saves you three months off of the the, the whole year. Um, and I'm really appreciative of all the support that I've gotten. And, and again, it, it, it just that is what helps me kind of continue to do these things. So if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the website. Even if you don't read the website and you subscribe to it, um, it's just another way for you to support this podcast. And I'm really thankful to everybody that has subscribed and downloaded all these podcasts, have left reviews. And, and please, another reminder, leave those five-star reviews over on Apple and, and, and share it. And um, you know, rate it on other other apparatus as well, or applications, apparatus. I mean, yeah, okay. Who's the old guy here? But but anyway, that's that's what I'd really like for for you to do is to just kind of help me out a little bit by you know letting people know about this podcast and and and, and the website because those are the two things that I that that's what I got going right now, um, and also uh, that's it's what I'm having fun doing. So I, I really appreciate everybody that has subscribed and has supported me so far. All right, let's get to the Q and A. I'm going to roll through these as best I can. Once again, some of these will have a little bit more detail on the written piece, but but I think that most of them you're going to get pretty the full gist, uh, pretty much the full gist of, of what I think on these topics. And and uh, you know, I there there are a few people that requested fake names because I did say you know I didn't want to have to have this where I was just going to have to start making up names and it was really just me asking questions to myself. Um, and then it would only be about things that I wanted to talk about. I think it's way more fun when you guys get engaged. I want to know what you guys think about. I want to know what interests you and the things that you want to know about and, and see how much I can actually help you learn about those things with this podcast and, and with the website. So without further ado, we're going to kick it off. Where we're going to start. The first topic is going to be NHL prospects. So these are players that are already drafted or signed and um, just you know some questions uh, based on that, and one of the guys that's gotten a lot of attention lately is Minnesota Wild prospect Matt Boldy, and he is a real intriguing player. I think that you know if you are a Minnesota Wild fan, you're excited about what he's going to bring to the table, and I'm excited what he's going to bring to the table. But I have two questions here, and they're from two different people, but they they are roughly the same thing. So I'm going to uh, say both of these questions, and then I'll answer them uh, with you know the specifics independently, but. The first comes from at Stevie McFeely. Do you see Boldy transitioning well to the NHL? Other classmates from the USNTDP 2019 Super Draft have done well so far. What's your take on his ceiling 
and also from at Jesse Pierce. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? Uh, we've already seen his former Team USA teammates translate well to the NHL. Do you think Matt Boldy has what it takes to have an equally seamless transition to the show, especially with the youthful talent taking over with the hashtag Minnesota Wild? So, all right. Matt Boldy, really intriguing prospect, a guy that I have a lot of respect for in terms of the way that he plays the game and how his game has grown over the last two seasons. Now, he was exceptional with Boston College in the second half of his freshman year, which was in 2019-20, and he was one of the most dominant college hockey players in 2020-21. He had 31 points in 22 games with the Eagles. Then he goes and signs with the Iowa Wild, or signs with Minnesota Wild, goes to Iowa in the AHL, gets 14 games of AHL action. So really important for him to have gotten that level of experience. And what does he do? He comes in and he produces immediately 18 points in those 14 games, including six goals. And you'll also remember he was a member of the gold medal team at the World Junior Championship. He had five goals and seven points in seven games at the World Juniors as Team USA won gold. So do I think that he can translate as seamlessly as the guys he mentioned? It's it's Trevor Zegers, it's Jack Hughes, it's Cole Caulfield, Spencer Knight among them. There will be more from that team of the 2001 birth year, which is one of the, the deepest and most talented I've seen come out of USA Hockey. And I think Boldy is a different player than Trevor Zegers. He's different than Jack Hughes. He's different than Cole Caulfield. I think what you get from... From Matt Boldy is a well-rounded winger, as good a defensive winger as there is in among prospects that I've seen. You know, I, I remember when I was talking to John Robleski, his coach at, at the under-18s, he was he he would always use the Marion Hosa comp in terms of how good he is defensively. But I think that's always been been part of his game. But then you have a guy with such creativity and skill. And now he's stronger. He's smarter. He's more experienced. He's he's been involved in the pro game. Uh, you know, a lot of Wild fans were calling for him to get into a playoff game. That's a tough situation for a guy to come into, and especially against a team like Vegas that has so much veteran talent, so much skill. You know, you're asking a lot of your player to to kind of go into that situation. But what I think about Matt Boldy is this is a guy that that you know if you give him the all the experience that he's had this year he's at least been a black ace with the Minnesota Wild as well uh, so he's been around the team he's starting to get a feel for what is expected at the NHL level i think that it i don't have a problem with them not really using him in the playoffs i don't think that that's going to make i don't think it would have made a huge difference but what i do think is that this year was a significant step forward in his development this year was him being um you know, take doing the things necessary to continue building off of what was a strong second half of last season. I think beginning of the year last year didn't start off well. He didn't make the World Junior Team, which to me was a shock. Even though he did not play very well in his first half, that was a shock to me. And then he went off in the second half. He started playing more with Alex Newhook and really exploded. This is a guy that I think is going to be a very important player. I think he's a top six forward. I think he's a big minutes forward, a guy that you can play in any situation. He can PK. He can be on your power play. He can do it all. He's an excellent distributor, has a really good shot. And then, as I mentioned, those defensive skills that he has really put him over the top at making him what I feel is an elite prospect in this league. All right. So we're going to move on to our next question. And that comes from at Hockey Scribe. And this was, how soon until Spencer Knight is the number one goalie in Florida? Well, if you watch the 
Tampa Florida series in the playoffs. We now know that Spencer Knight came in, started games five and six, won game five, lost game six, didn't get any goal support in game six, but played very well and you know still ended up they 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 lose that game. So obviously the big question with Spencer Knight is when does he start playing regularly and and I think that's a very fair question. The the answer is is that it's not that simple and as I, I know that the, the the person that asked this question knows as well is that you know you've got Sergey Bobrovsky with a 10 million dollar cap hit, a no move clause. You know, it's it's not an easy contract to buy out. It's not an easy contract to 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 do much with. But what I think you've learned from Spencer Knight in this season, um, and in you know, he won all four of his regular season starts. He wins his first playoff start, becomes the youngest player to win or second youngest goalie to win his playoff debut, and does it in an elimination game. Um, you know, I shared that, you know, he's, he's essentially now five and three in eight elimination games this year, um, you know, with a, with a pretty solid save percentage in that because, you know, he played in the World Juniors, he played at Boston College in the Hockey East playoffs and the NCAA playoffs, and he still managed to, you know, have a lot of success in, in those, including in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So what I think is next year is kind of his mentorship year. It's it's Sergey Bobrovsky is probably going to get the majority of the starts, but I think that you're going to see a very healthy dose of Spencer Knight. You know, I, I believe that, you know, Chris Dreger is going to be going somewhere else. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that, you know, he played so well this year and and will be the odd man out more than likely. But, you know, I think the, the, the Bobrovsky contract really complicates matters. So what I think is when will Spencer Knight be the full-time number one goalie? I mean, knowing Joel Quenville, he is not going to be overly precious about Sergei Bobrovsky's contra- contract. He doesn't, you know, he's going to put the goalie in there that gives him the best chance to win. And I think by the second half of next season, that's going to be Spencer Knight. He has stepped up in every single level. You know, he's he he's gone... You know, even going back to Avon Old Farms and the National Team Development Program, he's always managed to step up and, and has played in, in big situations, maybe earlier than people expected. And I, I fully believe that he will be a number one as early as next season, um, but a, probably the full-time getting the majority of the starts guy in Florida. I mean, that, that'll be uh, probably over you know at least one plus season before we can fully see that given where things are with Bobrovsky's contract. All right, our next question comes from at Charger underscore J. Nils Lundqvist just went home from the Worlds. First of all, hope he's okay. Assuming he is 100% by camp, do you see him making the Rangers this season? Also, a bonus question, do you see big jumps next year for Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco? Thanks, Chris. You do a great job. Yep, I will include the compliments when you send them. Thank you very much for that, Charger underscore J. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> getting to the first part of the question, Nils Lundqvist unfortunately got injured at the World Championship. We've seen it happen before. It's a lower body injury. Um, he's pulling out of the uh, out of the tournament. Has not yet signed his contract with the New York Rangers, and that is a. I, I, I had brought that up before. I made a Rangers fan. The, did this on Twitter and I made Rangers fans a little bit nervous, uh, you know, just because I, I kind of openly speculated like, Hey, what if he doesn't want to sign, you know, and until a player is under contract, there's always the option 
for them to go elsewhere. Now, the interesting thing about what's going on with the Rangers is they have a very crowded blue line. It's very balanced, however, with right shot, left shot guys. So, you know, they just signed Zach Jones out of UMass. I think that was a little bit a year earlier than a lot of people expected Jones to sign. You know, there's a lot of battle spots in the in the lineup. And, you know, if you're looking at Lundqvist, he's a right shot defenseman. You know, he's he's kind of an average size guy. He's not a very big guy. But you look at what he's done over the last two seasons in Sweden's top professional league. Last year, he set the record for under 20 defensemen with 31 points. Just a remarkable level of production. This year, he had 32 points, including 14 goals. So three more than he had last season. And... He was in the world championship for three games and he had five points. So this is a guy that I think thinks the game at a high level. He's incredibly intelligent. Do I think he would have been on the the New York Rangers roster on opening night? And, And can he be? I think he can be. However, I don't necessarily believe that it is a foregone conclusion that he will be. I think that this is a guy that's played primarily overseas. You know, you want to sometimes get those guys into the AHL environment and get them a chance to play some professional games. You'll you'll see that. You know, I think that I'm thinking back to Adam Boquist, and he was a guy that had to make a huge adjustment to the big ice. And he still, or from the big ice to the small ice, he readily admitted that. Went and played for the London Knights in the OHL, then played in the AHL for a bit, and then he made the Blackhawks. And so, you know, an offensive style defenseman, There's all sorts of different things that you have to think about. Spacing, timing, gap control, all these different things are a little bit different on the smaller ice surface. And on top of that, you know, I I don't really have a a huge concern about that with with Nils Lundqvist because he is such a smart player and I think that he will adapt over time. But you know, to see the 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 production that he is he's come up with, it would not surprise me if he's there. But once again, he still has to get the contract done. The Rangers want to get it done. I'm sure that he does as well. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see exactly how that all plays out. But again, you when you have Adam Fox already, when you have um, Zach Jones, who's a very mobile offensive blue liner, who's also at the World Championship for Team USA and doing really well, he's pretty much become their number one defenseman and is on their top power play unit. You know, there are a lot of guys that end up being similar to what Nils Lundqvist is. And I think that there's some consternation about should should you build a blue line that way? And I, I kind of think that that's the way blue lines are going to be built going forward. They're, you're still going to have guys that are better defenders than they are offensive players. But we're seeing more and more. You can't you, If you can't move the puck, if you can't skate, if you can't make plays, it's really hard for you to get drafted as a defenseman, especially early. And I think what Nils Lundqvist has shown over the course of his career is that his offensive trajectory has really exploded over the last couple of seasons and is only going to get better. So, you know, getting a guy like him into the system is is huge. To get to the second part of the question, and bonus questions are always welcome because, you know, that's what we do here. I do see that Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco will take bigger jumps next season. I think this year you have to look at, you know, I think, you know, Emily Kaplan said it on our podcast last week. There are a lot of general managers that are concerned that this year had a particularly negative effect on younger players. And I completely agree with that. I mean, you look at some of the rookie production this year, and it was fine. But there wasn't a lot of, you know, outside of Kaprizov and Jason Robertson, not a lot of guys putting up huge numbers. You know, and not and the goalies were probably a little more, a little better prepared for this season. So, you know, so I I do think that with the value of a complete offseason, 
with the value of the experience that they've gained this year and with going into next season when we fully expect to th for things to get back to normal, aside from it being an Olympic year and having a compressed schedule once again, I do think that you'll see those two guys make a big step forward. They're they're elite wingers. They're going to get better. They need you, you kind of have to be patient with them. Lafreniere was coming off of no hockey for what 10 months before he had to jump into the NHL. That is a hard thing to do. Um, so I have no concerns about either of those guys. I think they're going to be completely fine. All right, we're going to keep it in uh, you know the New York area, but we're going to move over to New Jersey, and this one comes from at Sean O'Brien 81. Do, the def do any of the defensive prospects for the New Jersey Devils, Kevin Ball, Riley Walsh, Michael Vikovic, uh, Nikita Okotok, take a step forward this year? Do any look like future NHLers? And the answer is yes. I mean, I think that they will take a step forward and continue to take steps forward. You're looking at guys that, you know, especially like Kevin Ball, who's been a kind of a long-term project. Now he comes over in the Taylor Hall trade with Arizona. He's a huge defenseman. He's currently playing for Canada at the World Championship, or sorry, not playing for Canada. He played for Canada last year in the World Juniors. Um, you know, I think he's a really intriguing guy. He had five points in 27 games with the Binghamton Devils this year. And I think his offensive game really took off in junior over the last two seasons. He's a good puck mover. His skating vastly improved. But he's a guy that remains a project. There's still some rawness to him, but a six foot six, two hundred and thirty pound defenseman um, that that has the mobility that he's gotten. I, I think that his his ceiling is not even close to being reached yet. And he's once he gets there, he's going to be a very good defenseman. You know, Riley Walsh, a much more offensive minded defenseman, very mobile. You know, came out of uh, Harvard, and you know they were not going to have a season this year. Otherwise, you know, I think we probably would have seen. Um, you know, kind of what he was able to do, but you know, 15 points in 33 games for the Binghamton Devils, um, you know, pretty solid, solid season. You know, I, I thought that personally, I, I was a little surprised, you know, when when he was signed, just because you know, if we had a normal season at Harvard, I think that this year, if he would have stayed there, it would have uh, you know helped him kind of master the college game. I don't think he ever really significantly dominated. His defensive game still needs to come, and that's going to take some time. Um, you know, he's not a not not a guy that that has a tremendous size, but he can can hold his own. I think that's good. You know, I think Vukovic is a really interesting one as well, and the fact that you know we lost the OHL season this year, I think it would have been helpful to him. Had he been able to go and 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 get another year of junior hockey, I liked what he did over the last season. But he handled himself well in in the AHL. You know, he's he's got some good mobility. He's got um, the ability to put up some points. He's physical. He's got some nastiness to him. Um, so I like what he's done. I think you know the size factor. He was a guy when I first saw him, I thought was going to be a, a lot bigger of a prospect than he ended up becoming. But he's one of those guys that will probably find a way because he just plays so hard. He's got great work ethic, um, you know. So I think that's that's good. And then Okotok is a bit of a wild card for me. You know, he's a guy that I've I've tried to watch more closely over the last couple of years. Um, you know, and and just kind of seeing what what he was able to bring. And you know, for a second round draft pick. You know, I think that you probably are hoping for a bit more. I think he's got some physical edge to him. There's there's a couple of things that, that I like about his game. Um, but he's another one where it's, you know, he's kind of in the middle a little bit. And he's going to maybe take 
some time. But I think, you know, if you're talking about those first three guys, I think you can get NHL games out of them for sure. It's just a matter of when. Um, and I think all three of them are still still have plenty of development ahead of them. And the same goes for Okotok as well. Um, and and I, I like all those guys that, you know, I think that, that, that New Jersey actually has a really nice system. I think we saw some, you know, some graduations this year where we're seeing progress from Nolan foot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I still think that that blue line is a ways away from being, you know, from maximizing its full potential. And, and, uh, you know, maybe some of those guys will end up eventually being better served as, as trade chips in the long run. But uh, I think that they, those guys hold value within the organization and will be, will be solid. This is an uh, interesting one, a little off the beaten path, but I, I like it. At Paul C. Teeple, does Hunter Shepard have a path to the NHL and the Capitals organization? If not, is there anywhere else? He's never had particularly high ratings among scouts, but he just flat out wins at every level. And Paul, you are right. He has been a winner. Hunter Shepard, a two-time NCAA champion um, and played in the final of the NCAA tournament in three consecutive seasons. So was the best postseason goaltender in um, in the NCAA prior to signing with the Hershey Bears. You know, didn't get a lot of NHL interest. You know, he does not have an NHL contract. He was signed to an AHL-only deal, and he spent a good chunk of this year in the ECHL as well. But in the three games that he played for the Hershey Bears, one of them was a shutout, 969 save percentage, Perfect 3-0 record. Now, why didn't Hunter Shepard get signed to an NHL deal despite being one of the most successful goaltenders? Well, for one, he's under six foot two inches. And that I know there's a lot of goalies, uh, gurus out there that are saying now, come on, you, you cannot focus on the size as much anymore. These guys are finding ways to play. And you know, six foot one is not that's what Hunter Shepard is, is not short. You know, I mean he, he can play the position. Um, I think there were some people that believed that he was a system goalie because Minnesota Duluth played so well in front of him. Um, but I mean, you know, he, he had pretty solid numbers. You know, I, I think the other thing that went against him was the fact that he, he was a bit older. So being, you know, coming out of college hockey at, you know, he was 25, 25 years old, essentially, or 24 years old. Um, you know, there's not, there's a little less runway there for those kinds of guys. So, um, you know, I'm, I'll be interested to see, but I, I think that there is a path for him and it, and it probably is through Washington because, you know, you look at there's Phoenix Copley, there's, there's Vitek Vanacek. Um, obviously Ilya Samsonov is the goalie of the, of the now and of the future for the team. Um, but you know, I think that Shepard at least has a chance to make his way and, and if it's not within the, the the Capitals organization, maybe there is another place. But being a goaltender, you kind of never know when it's going to work out. You're you're everybody's battling for you know just uh, not not that many spots with the amount of goalies that there are. But for a guy that's you know had great success at the high school level in Minnesota, at the junior level in the North American League with the Bismarck Bobcats, and and obviously at Minnesota Duluth, now we're seeing him take the next step to the pros. So I think that it, there will be a gradual progression. All right, so that's it for the drafted and or signed prospects. Now we're going to move to the NHL draft, and, and there were some questions still about guys that I saw at the U18 Worlds, and, and I didn't address them before, so I will now. Uh, but this one comes from uh, a Hockey Sense subscriber, Ryan Van Horn. 
How much did players like Mason McTavish, Sasha Postajov, Samu Tuamala, and Isaac Rosen raise their stock in the eyes of scouts at the World Under 18s? I know scouts try to avoid recency bias and putting too much weight on one tournament, but their performance performances at World U18s were noteworthy. They absolutely were, and McTavish is a guy that I've, I've talked quite a bit about that I think he did raise his stock because everybody was able to see they knew what he was from the OHL last season and now they've seen a player that has taken the next step he plays the game in an NHL style he he, he has uh, tremendous physicality thinks the game at a high level I think his skating is improved all of those things matter and those were all on display in in one of the more dominant efforts at the world under 18s in some time and, and playing a significant role on one of the deepest Canadian teams that they've ever taken to that tournament so his he he, he blows up because of that Sasser Pastajov, I don't think that he necessarily helped or hurt his stock a whole lot. He just kind of continued to be the player that he is that we've seen. He produces a ton. He was Team USA's leading scorer. Unfortunately, they get bounced in the quarterfinals. Don't get a lot of a, a long time with him, but he continues to produce. And, and he's a guy that, that everybody is still concerned about his skating ability. He does not have great feet, but he still has first-round caliber hockey brain, I think. I think that his, his, his offensive mind works at an extremely high rate, he has good work ethic. He's he's strong on the puck. I think that you know he makes plays and has a great shot. So I think that that allows him to kind of so I, so I think he kind of stayed. Um, Samu Tuomala, who's who's one of one of the best shooters in this draft, has one of the best shots. Shoots well off the pass. Really good release. Um, you know, catch and shoot kind of guy. He can do a little bit of everything. Um, I think one of the things that he proved in this tournament was that he can be a go-to offensive performer. Um, against his peers, he can be a guy that can can score big goals. Scored a ton of them um, for Finland in the tournament. Some comeback winners, some overtime games. So, you know, he's really um, you know improved that way. I think one of the biggest things that that scouts wanted to see is how how he looked in terms of his quickness. And I thought that was something that was better. Carried the puck a lot. He proved that he wasn't just a guy that needs to have a center that can get him the puck. He can make plays himself. That was really important for him. You know, I think. The other guy that that Ryan asks about in this is is Isaac Rosen, and I think what we saw from him and and there's another question about Rosen, so I'll I'll kind of answer this uh, as well. And this the other question came from at Li Fryman um, on Twitter. Isaac Rosen impressed the under eighteen worlds. What do you think he can be at the NHL top six winger? First line potential. Would love to hear your thoughts. Well. So I'll answer those questions together. I think that Rosen is kind of, you know, to me, he looks more like a middle six forward. I think that, he, you know, he doesn't have necessarily the the breakaway skill that, say, Fabian Lucell had um, or has. But what he does have is, is incredible speed, powerful skating, explosive skating, um, the ability to get behind defenses, the ability to anticipate plays. The biggest question I had about him going to that tournament is can his brain work as fast as his feet do? And I think in that tournament, he proved that they do. Um, he made more plays. He, he was able to get, you know, pucks to the net. He, he made some incredible skill plays, you know, even though he doesn't have that, that dominant dangling ability of some of the other players, you know, he, he just, and, and he plays hard. So, you know, he, he scored some big goals for them, you know, was key guy on the power play. Um, had seven goals in the tournament, which is the most ever by a Swedish player. Um, and I think that really flew under the radar for a team that ended up winning the bronze medal. So um, I think that he's a guy that, that's really good. And, and to get back to Ryan's initial question, too, is about recency bias and putting weight on the tournament. 
I talked to a lot of scouts, and they were putting a lot of weight on that tournament. It wasn't just recency bias. It was they, they look at it through the lens of what are the things that I've seen this season from this player at whatever level they're at. How do those skills translate to this level? What kind of role is he playing? You know, in scouting, context matters so much. Um, and that's one of the things where you, why you cannot just look at a box score. I mean, points are so important, and they are very illustrative of what a player does and and, and how successful they can be going forward in, in a vacuum. But to, to get the context of why you know, players played the way that they did, you know, did, did player X get moved off the power play at this tournament? Did he play a significant role in the PK? Was there, you know, what kind of matchups did he get? Did he get tough defensive assignments? Was he playing against teams, tops lines? And, and, you know, when players don't do that necessarily, or they or scouts are not seeing the things that they saw in video, that then creates more work for them. It says, okay, now I have to go back and figure out what I saw here, what I saw there, how they how they go together. I got to talk to the other scouts that have seen them. So it actually ends up creating more questions to go back and answer. It's less of the recency bias. It's more, what are the things that I learned there based on, you know, and how do they compare to what I already knew? And then you have to kind of go back and refigure out which is the which is the most important information that I have about this player and and I think that that tournament was very important and everybody understood that it was in you know unique circumstances they were in a bubble there were all these other extenuating circumstances um you know you, you look at the different things and, and and that was very very important for those players um that event where and, and for some of those guys it was the only time that they were going to get seen all year so that's the other thing that that kind of comes from it um you know, and, and Ryan also asked on the flip side, how did some of the underwhelming performances from Simon Robertson and to a lesser extent Dylan Gunther affect their stock? Well, I, I think it did affect their stock because I think you know Dylan Gunther was in an interesting position coming into the tournament. I think a lot of people are saying this guy's a lock to be a top five pick. And then when they went to the tournament, they said, well, I don't necessarily see a top five pick here. I see a very good player. I see a top 10 guy for sure. But do I put him over William Eklund now on my list? Do I put him over... Um, Luke Hughes, who wasn't in the tournament and was out injured. Do I put him over, you know, uh, Matty Beneers, who's who's older and plays center, you know? So I think those were were definitely things that were asked about Dylan Gunther. In terms of Simon Robertson, you know, he didn't really make a huge impact in the tournament for, for Sweden. And so that creates questions. Is this guy really a first-round draft pick? You know, he skates well. He's got size. He's got a shot, you know. A lot of good tools, but when it came to time to, to perform against you know the guys that that he should be able to hang with as as fellow elite team elite players, he, you know he didn't necessarily stand out. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that I get out of any World Under 18 Championship or any international tournament. How do they look against their peers? How do they compare? What are the things you know? Are there things that they can come back from? Are there things that they can? Um, you know, overcome. But then you look at a guy like Simon Edvinson, who didn't have a great tournament either. He was fine. You know, he was not bad. He was not great. Um, didn't look like a top three pick to me. But I understand the the thing that didn't change is that I think he's got an incredible ceiling. Being a six foot five defenseman with his mobility and hand skills, there's a lot there. I think that some of the stuff that needs to get corrected might be you know, in terms of hockey sense and things of that nature. And those are the things that I'll, I'll continue to look at. But 
you know, I, I think that when you look at the, those players in these tournaments, it does, you know, some of the warts will show, some of them will be cleaned up, some of them will be hidden by, you know, games against lesser opponents at times. Um, but you just have to be careful and you have to basically make sure that when you are doing these evaluations, that every piece of information that you have comes into play. And then you have to pick out what are the things that you want to prioritize. And sometimes it will be the things that you saw at the world under 18s. And, and you'll say, you know, and, and, and people are naturally biased to the things that they see most recently for sure. But if you have it in the back of your mind while you're watching a player, hey, I, I'm not seeing what I saw before. Why is that? Then you'll go back and do the work to figure it out. All right, our next question comes from at M.E. Kings fan. Is there a 2021 draft eligible player that wasn't really on your radar prior to the U18s that you left with no choice but to have him as a round one to three pick after watching and announcing the game? So there weren't a ton of players that I didn't, necessarily already know there were guys that definitely stood out more than others you know I think one of the guys that that has been mentioned before that certainly was the case for me was Danila Klimovic from uh, Belarus who had six goals in the tournament incredible release great size good skill you know skates well would have played for I, I said on the podcast last week he was going to the OHL he was actually going to the you know probably going to the QMJHL to play for Rune Naranda. And, you know, he doesn't end up coming over. I think, you know, he plays in, in, in that, you know, the, the, the junior league in Belarus, which is not a place where you're often going to be drafting prospects out of, but, you know, I think that he's become a guy that is going to be in that discussion to be a top three round pick for sure. I mean, I think it's going to be hard for him not to be a top three round pick. Another guy that that I think also did that was Canadian defenseman Olin Zellweger. And Zellweger, I, I was familiar with him, but not as familiar to say, well, this guy's certainly going to be, you know, a first half of the draft kind of player. You know, he's an average size defenseman, good mobility, really good puck mover, but he's also one of the youngest players in the draft class. And so I wasn't exactly sure what we were going to get. Well, it turns out that Olin Zellweger ends up becoming Canada's top defenseman on the power play. He was running it from the point, and and you know he had a, a pretty easy job, which was to get the puck to Shane Wright and let him shoot it on the power play. That's a pretty easy way to to earn some points, but you know that oversimplifies what he was. I think his mobility, his his skating, his you know he he defended fine. You know he moved pucks very well. I thought he had a lot of maturity. Um, you know, and I really like his skating. I, th I thought that that was one of the separating factors. And, and one of the reasons why I think Canada was so, um, you know, so willing to use him as much as they did. And, um, you know, he plays for the Everett silver tips and, you know, was over a point per game in the, in the, um, in the bubble or in the, in the WHL shortened season before he ended up having to join team Canada to go for this tournament. But, you know, I mean, you look at what he did, and he's, you know, over a point per game for Team Canada as well. You know, playing top four minutes for one of the deepest teams in the tournament. You know, he wasn't going to get the toughest defensive assignments, but you look at his offensive ability, and that's a guy that I see now as a potential top three-round guy, um, a guy that's gained a lot of respect in the scouting community for what he did. And then, you know, to kind of even outshine Brant Clark offensively for that team, that was pretty impressive. So 
those are the guys, uh, you know, Klimovich and, and, and Zellweger were two of the guys I think really did that at the Worlds and, and guys that will, will have their names called pretty early. All right. This is a, these are always fun. This comes from at Kyle underscore Fultz. Do you ever look back on guys that fell to the very end of the draft or go undrafted that go on to become stars or at least serviceable NHLers to see if everyone missed something or if they are just late bloomers? Do you use this information to scout prospects differently? Great question, Kyle. Really, it's the thing is, is that we're, you know, myself, anybody that writes about prospects and certainly the scouts themselves are constantly evaluating and reevaluating these types of things. Um, one of the things that that I think a lot of scouts are are doing now is you know there there are players they're willing to let slip through the draft and, and and they'll keep tabs on them they'll say hey you know maybe this is a guy that we gotta get as a um, you know as as a as a undrafted free agent you know I think like Tyler Johnson was one of those guys for a lot of people. Um, you know, to say, hey, he's he, the size is a concern. You know, we're not sure exactly what he's going to be, but he might be worth a contract later. Um, and, and in hindsight, he was a guy that, you know, very easily could have been drafted. And, and certainly now, you know, he's a Stanley Cup champion and, you know, did very well for himself in his career. But I think, you know, by and large, the scouting community has really improved in terms of not missing on guys. Um, you know, it, it happens because development is not a straight line and there are a lot of late bloomers there are guys that you know you just like i don't know how he's gonna do it um i don't know if he can skate well enough i don't know what he can do you know i think thinking of one of the guys that that always stands out to me when we talk about this is andre schuster who didn't have a very long nhl career but he made it to the nhl and he was in the the tampa system and and schuster was this tall gangly kid who you know, was just, I mean, very clumsy of a skater when he was in junior hockey, you know, wasn't sure what to make of him. You know, he's this, this, this Czech kid, six foot seven, 216, you know, and he, he comes and he, he plays in the North American League um, first and doesn't really produce much. Goes to the Youngstown Phantoms, doesn't really produce a whole lot. Um, but you know, then, then he goes to the university of Nebraska, Omaha, and all of a sudden he starts putting it together. And that's a guy that has a longer development track and nothing that he did when he was a younger player suggested that he was a guy that you should spend a draft pick on, you know, his first year in college hockey had nine points. And then he goes on and, and by the time he's a junior, he has 25 points in 39 games, including nine goals. He's starting to, you know, figure out his shot. You know, and, he, and here's a guy that en, end up grinding out an NHL career. He's still playing professionally now in the KHL. But, I mean, that's a guy that never got drafted who played 324 games in the NHL as a, as a defenseman. And even though he had the size profile and he had the ceiling, you know, he had the look of a player like, hey, maybe he could be something, you know, you don't know until – you give them that room and, and it's kind of free development to let it happen, but then you have to be good enough to, to recruit and sign these guys later on. And so Schuster is a really, he, he's one of those guys that, you know, definitely a late bloomer, but you know, to, to get 324 games in the national hockey league as a gigantic right shot defenseman, pretty impressive for him. And, and a guy that I think is, is kind of indicative of that. So, you know, I think that there are, there are always, 
possibilities of guys that, that you know people miss on. I always thought you know that there are always guys who's like, oh, this guy should have been drafted, or this guy should have gone this way, and um, you know it it kind of varies case to case, but. Um, in many of the cases, those guys that do become stars or, or high-end players, um, you know, were later bloomers like a Mark Giordano or, or, or people like that, where it's just, you know, they didn't really put it together until later in their career. And then it clicked for them. Um, you know, I think Chris Tanev is another good example of a guy who's a, a top four defenseman in the NHL right now, who, who really didn't have any indication that that was what he was going to be until much later in his career when he was playing at RIT, which was not a place that was producing pro prospects. So he's carved out a great career as well. All right. This is one person that actually requested one of the weird made up names. So I promise you, I'm not making this up. This was a real question um, for, from Jimmy from Jimmersville. And I, I will say Jimmersville is in North Carolina. Um, what would a goalie have to do in juniors or the NCAA for you to consider them a worthy number one overall? And once again, please give me a fake name like Jimmy from Jimmersville. And we did that. So it's a great question. And it's something, you know, I, I'm still thinking about and trying to figure out what what a good answer is. Because, you know, one of the best goaltending prospects I've ever seen in my, in my life was, was Andre Vasilevsky. And I, you know, I didn't think there was any chance that he was going to be a top you know, it wasn't even a guarantee he was going to go in the first round. Then I saw, you know, Yaroslav Askarov, Spencer Knight more recently. Those are guys, and I was like, gosh, really great goalies, but there are just so many questions. I think I, I think there's no great way to do it. Um, you know, we obviously saw Marc-Andre Fleury, and even he at times, people are like, wow, was he really the best prospect from that 2003 draft? I mean, if you're looking at him playing the way he's playing now, you're like, oh, maybe... You know, he's, you know, and it, it, it's, it's really hard to do, but I just think that teams look at draft picks nowadays as, you know, it's so, you just can't miss on them and you can't take humongous swings with the number one overall pick. And I think that the, when Marc-Andre Fleury was selected first overall in 2003, it was a different landscape from the rest of, from the way that hockey works now. At this point, everybody expects the number one overall pick to play in the NHL the following season, whether that's the right decision or not for their development. And I think in a lot of cases, we've we've been able to see that there have been guys that, that absolutely could handle it and guys that couldn't and guys that didn't work out. But we've also seen a lot of first-round goalies that didn't work out. And there's a lot more variables with the goaltending position. Obviously, physical growth, injury concerns, you know, a lot of goaltenders, you know, hips and 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 groins and things like that. They're they're there's you know prone to breaking down and and you know you want to mitigate that risk as as much as possible and and it's not easy to project that out necessarily. So, you know, I think at this point it's going to be really hard for a goalie to be the number one overall. I mean, I think you'd have to be basically a goalie who's who's stopping ninety five percent of the pucks that you're facing in a given year. At a, at, a, at a reasonably high level. You know, if we see a guy, if we see a 17-year-old goalie that has a 970 save percentage in the KHL and plays, you know, 40 games, well, then maybe that's the guy that goes number one. Um, you know, I think at, at a period of time during the last draft, there were people that thought Yaroslav Askarov could be the number one overall pick, that he could end up being the best pro. I mean, he still could be. You never know. I mean, I think that, 
that he had a, a fair season this year. He did not certainly perform. I don't think he performed up to his own expectations or what, what many of us thought for him. But, I mean, pretty pretty interesting stuff. You know, I, I think when you think about it, what is it going to take for, for a goalie to do that? And I, I think that, you know, the way that teams mitigate risk with their draft now and the fact that, that almost there's there's almost never been a goalie that you could say could immediately jump into the NHL. Um, I think I think it's going to be really tough to ever see it again. Um, not impossible, but really tough. It's going to have to be a pretty, I think, a pretty weak draft year at the forward and defense position for that to happen. So it's less what a goalie is going to do and more what does the rest of the class look like. All right, now we're going to move on to some other uh, miscellaneous questions. Chris, what is your favorite line to use during a broadcast? And this comes from at emsnake7. And this particular questioner was actually at the event that I had pulled out a line. So I used to do the play-by-play. I did it solo for the, for the World Under-18 Championship for what was then Fast Hockey is now Hockey TV. Um, and uh, a bunch of my former coworkers at USA Hockey who were all watching would feed me lines during games. And one of my favorites that I ever used during a broadcast was on a goal. I remember it pretty vividly because, you know, they sent me all kinds of crazy stuff, but this one was, was my favorite. And, um, you know, Dexter was a really popular TV show at that time. And somebody had sent me this line and I used it and it was kind of the perfect goal. And this player, Dan Carlson was playing for the U S under 18 team. And this was in Germany at the world under 18s. I can't remember who they were playing, but you know, he, he, he scores this beautiful goal where he kind of dangles through, you know, three or four players. And I was like, Oh, this is the perfect time for this line. And I go, Dan Carlson scores. He sliced through the defense like Dexter on a hot Miami night. And that was, and that was the line. And I, it was like kind of the perfect situation for it. And, you know, I, I don't think that I would do that now in any of the broadcasts I did. If you listen to the world under 18s, it was a little more buttoned up than that. But I knew that there were probably only about 60 people watching that broadcast at the time. And uh, I just went for it. And that was probably my favorite line that I've used. And I probably will never use it again because it's very dated at this point, even though Dexter is coming back to Showtime. Uh, this one comes from former podcast guest Corey Pronman. Who were your favorite intermission guests during the U18 Worlds? Well, I had a couple of great, like really great ones. Corey came on twice. He was fine. Um, but, you know, like, <laughs> but every, you know, we, we talked to scouts. Um, you know, my broadcast partner was able to, to interview uh, Stan Bowman and you know I talked to a lot of scouts there um we had uh, AJ Taves from the Capitals and we had uh um uh, Mike Donaghy from the Chicago Blackhawks and uh just so many great people Dan Marr from Central Scouting I mean you know so it was a great great to get their insights on on kind of how they feel about the season and have it you know delivered to the fans that were watching uh but Corey you were pretty good too so uh thanks for stopping by oh and Pat Kelleher from USA Hockey he was great too all right uh, at Ramstein 816 asks, is Kazakhstan still undefeated? <laughs> and this comes from a Twitter bit that I was doing. Um, Kazakhstan, if, if you have not been following the Men's World Championship, started 2-0, which included shootout wins, um, and one of which was over Finland, of all teams, um, and also over Latvia. And then Kazakhstan defeated Germany in regulation. Now, they won three of their first four games. They lost to the U.S. So no, Kazakhstan is no longer under. They are not undefeated. 
They lost to USA 3-0. But they are still 3-1 in the tournament. And if you have not been following the World Championship, it has been the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in international hockey. It is you know, the highest level of the IIHF, but it's not because obviously a lot of players have not gone. Um, you know, the U.S. has, you know, they had a tough loss to Finland, but they've looked good since. Canada started the tournament 0-3 for the first time ever. They finally beat Norway to get on the board. Um, they are currently behind Great Britain. If you look at the entire tournament standings, they're in different groups, so it's not technically accurate. But Great Britain has four points in the standings. Canada has three. And Great Britain won over Belarus, which beat Sweden, which lost their first two games. So we're talking about some of the most bizarre results you can ask for with Sweden losing to Belarus and Denmark. Um, you know, the, the U.S. lost to Finland, then Finland lost to Kazakhstan. It was, you know, it's just it's been a bit of a crazy tournament. Um, but no, Kazakhstan is no longer undefeated. Shout out to Kazakhstan. Great tournament so far. Um, another one from at Jesse Pierce. Can I get official review of Mighty Ducks Game Changers? Now, you may know that I'm a huge fan of the Mighty Ducks, the, the movies. Um, I was of age when those came out and, you know, certainly saw all three in the theaters when they came out. Um, and now we have Mighty Ducks Game Changers on Disney+. Plus, and I'm going to actually give it a really positive review. I'm enjoying it. I think it's great. And that's not because I've been trying desperately to get my hands on the promotional jerseys that they sent out to inter internet influencers. I promise it's not because of that. And by the way, keep an eye on my Twitter because you may have a surprise that is involving Mighty Ducks Game Changers, the runaway smash hit only available on Disney+. Plus. Not an ad, just like it. All right. Now it's time for me to get riled up a little bit, and I don't like doing that because there was some really terrible news on Thursday, and this question comes from my good pal Nate Wells at Gopher State on Twitter asking, Robert Morris, WTF? Um, and if you hadn't heard on Thursday, out of nowhere, or sorry, on Wednesday, out of nowhere, Robert Morris University, which has a Division One men's and women's hockey teams, they have you know, both men's and women's hockey uh, abruptly announced and very shockingly so that they will no longer field those teams. Um, and I wanted to read this press release because I used to be in public relations. It is a difficult job at times, but the lead paragraph announcing this, you know, decision by the university to cut men's and women's hockey. And this is a Pittsburgh area hockey team. You know, hockey is booming in that area. And to lose a team, a division one team there is not a good thing for college hockey. I don't care that Robert Morris is not a blue blood. I care that this is a program that gave players a, a really good place to play. They were competitive. They've been to the national tournament. Um, you know, the, the men's and women's team, the women's team has produced an Olympian and Brianne McLaughlin, uh, who, you know, was a, was a goaltender and, and has an Olympic silver medal. So it, I was frustrated, but I wanted to read this paragraph to you because this drove me absolutely bananas when I read it. And, and, and it goes a little something like this. And first here's, here's, here's the headline RMU chart strategic course headed into its centennial year. Well, sure. That makes sense. I mean, every school is going to charter a strategic course into a, a landmark year. 
The Beyond 100 plan includes a focus on diversity and inclusion, very good things, more campus events, very good things, and a reorganization of its athletic programs. Hmm, that, it, that does not seem like the other things. And here is the lead paragraph of the press release. Robert Morris University announced today it will no longer field NCAA Division I men's and women's ice hockey teams as part of a series of strategic initiatives intended to position the university to be amongst the most agile and professionally focused schools in the nation as it prepares for its upcoming 100th anniversary. Pardon? What does that even mean? What? Okay, we're cutting the hockey team because it's the 100th anniversary and we need to be agile, professionally focused. Now, the university says they're going to honor the scholarships of all the student athletes that that are having their sports discontinued, which is great, but that doesn't help them because they're not going to be able to play hockey um, at the Division One level anymore. And they can hit the transfer portal, thankfully. Um, but you know, without sitting out a year. And there are some really solid players like Randy Hernandez, who was a really good USHL player and played in the national team development program. Like, you know, he's one of the top scorers in college hockey last year in the whole country. And, and now he doesn't have a place to play next year, uh, at least for now. So Robert Morris University also announced that they're committed to Division One athletics. They continue to field 15 Division One sports. And by discontinuing hockey, the university puts itself in closer alignment with similarly sized institutions. Approximately 55 student athletes and seven staff positions will be impacted by this decision, which is effective immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks for this. Thanks for all the support there. Uh, you know, the it's only 55 student athletes and seven staff positions who happen to be human beings. So I, I get really annoyed when you know schools will do this and and anybody will do this where they they have these 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 PR, you know, press releases that try to put some shininess on, um, you know, the decision that they made. And really what they're just saying is we didn't want to do hockey anymore. Um, and, and so they've used a lot of words to, to do that. And I, I think, you know, it's just, a, it's a, it's a shame. And obviously we're coming out of a pandemic every athletics department is you know up against it in so many ways they've lost so much revenue it's really difficult to operate these programs hockey is an expensive sport especially when you have both men's and women's that's a lot of scholarships that it takes up and then it's also obviously travel budgets and equipment budgets and there, you know there's a lot of different things that go into it and so i don't envy the people that had to make this decision but you know pardon me but what a what a bullshit response to put it out there like this, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't help anything. I think when you try to put a spin on it or try to make it sound strategic or, or, or not so cold, because that's what it is, you know, to just hack the programs. And these are programs that had to scuffle. They had to scuffle for players. They had to, you know, develop players they had to battle their way. The only way they would get into the NCAA tournament is if they won their conference and won the conference tournament. You know, it, it, it is always an uphill battle for the mid-major schools. But to see a program that I think has really been one of the the shining lights, you know, this is they sponsored the women's Frozen Four this year in Erie, Pennsylvania, which actually went off without a hitch. They did a phenomenal job hosting it, just in terms of 
being to have all of the games completed, not having anybody test positive for COVID, and they were able to get through to the championship game and and create one of the great moments on television uh, for women's college hockey, and now it's over? I mean, those are the types of things. It's frustrating. Obviously, I don't have all the details, and I'm reacting more as a hockey fan and less as a, you know, rational thinking journalist it's it's more when i see it presented like that i think it's a huge slap in the face to the players to the coaches to the people that put their heart and souls into the program and when it's put like that when you're trying to make your university more agile and professionally focused because your 100th anniversary is coming up get out of here with that brutal i have a a follow-up question from from a reader because this came like right after this news broke when i was it called for questions and this comes from joe from Terre Haute. while it while it's focused on adding programs is laudable what can college hockey inc do to retain existing programs i think that's a really great question we've been really focused on um expansion and I think that that's a really good aim to have because I think expansion, especially when you can add some bigger programs, you know, we're certainly still hoping that the University of Illinois will one day get their their hockey team. We're now seeing the Tennessee State University in in Nashville, in the Nashville area, and HBCU is looking into adding hockey to their. You know, they're doing the feasibility study. It's amazing, and and I'm so excited to see that. But we're in a real trouble spot here for college hockey coming out of the pandemic. And that's that's a fact. Alaska Anchorage is hanging by a thread as a program. Alabama Huntsville is hanging by a thread as a program because even though they had all the efforts to make it work, they haven't been able to secure a conference. And I don't know if that's necessarily College Hockey Inc.'s job. It is something that they are kind of involved with and I'll have to talk to you know uh, Nate Yule and Mike Snee about this at some point too because I think it's really uh, an interesting point to bring up is that you know we also have to make sure that the, the programs that we have continue to exist and it's and it's a lot harder coming out of the pandemic where you know NCAA programs are are really in trouble in terms of you know, their entire athletic departments, losing staff and, and trying to make things work. And, you know, in a lot of these schools, they don't have the Division One football team to prop up the rest of the athletic department. They don't have the big Division One basketball team that's, you know, bringing in money and revenue. Um, and, and hockey is not a sport that often is going to be a be one that keeps a pro keeps a, a, an athletic department in the black. And, and nobody was in the black coming out of the the pandemic. So, I will say I really do hope that we add schools, and I certainly hope that we keep the ones that we have. Um, you know, definitely if you can support, you know, the efforts to save the Alaska Anchorage hockey team, to save Alabama Huntsville. Talk to people in college hockey and say, you know, wh- what do you what do you want to see, and let them know that you want to see these programs continue to survive. And and now to now to see that Robert Morris University is potentially gone. Um, after all the years that they've spent building that program into a respected mid-major, um, it's just it's 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 super unfortunate, and you know I, I don't know who really could have prevented it. 
Um, but you know, let's hope that there are brighter days ahead for college hockey. All right, I don't want to end it on a in a sour note, but obviously you could tell I'm riled up, and we're already into hour two of the podcast, so this is officially the longest podcast talking hockey sense has ever done. But I did want to do the Q and A portion. I did want to have the Pete Blackburn interview, and I had so much fun talking to Pete that we just kept going and going and going, and that's kind of how things go with me. I can talk a little bit, and that's what we're doing now. So if you made it to this point in the podcast, first of all, thank you. Second of all, why? Third of all, thank you, because I really do appreciate all the support that I've gotten since I've gone independent and... You know, obviously it's it's never easy when you lose a job, but it's been super exciting for me to be able to connect with my readers, to connect with my listeners, and to have these conversations and to answer your questions. And please continue to send them in. Just because I, I put out a call for a special QA episode doesn't mean I won't answer your questions every episode hereafter if you want to send them along. So it's been it's been a ride. It's been an absolute ride. I've had a blast with it. You know, I feel incredibly lucky uh, to be here and to be doing this, and I'm really appreciative of everybody that uh, that has has really helped make this happen. Once again, as always, please subscribe, please rate, review. Um, you know, let us know how things are going. You can always email me at um, hockeysense with cp at gmail.com. Um, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Chris M Peters. My many, many, many thanks to all of you who brought questions forward and also anybody that is still listening right this second. Because if I were you, I would have stopped like five questions ago. But thank you again. If you made it this far, the secret code word is Gordon Bombay. Once again, Gordon Bombay, let me know if you made it this far on Twitter, um, at Chris M. Peters. Just say Gordon Bombay. I'll send you a, a GIF or something as as a token of my appreciation. But more than anything else, I'm just really thankful that you guys chose to join me again. So have a great week. We'll see you next time on Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.